Welcome to Poetry Says. My name is Alice and this is episode 50. I thought I'd do something a little bit more personal today. 50 is a nice round number and I want to start off by just saying thank you so much for downloading these episodes, for listening online. I couldn't be happier with the way that this podcast has grown. It's connected me to more and more people, more people than I ever thought possible. I still remember checking the stats back in maybe July or August last year in 2016 and thinking, I don't know that many people. I can't account for that many people um, just listening because they're friends of mine. So that was a huge moment. And since then, it's grown and more people have been in touch. And I feel like it started this conversation, which not just myself, but quite a few people are finding really useful. This space where we can ask questions, where we can talk about poetry in less of a critical way and more of an appreciative way. And that's what I always hoped it would become. So I'm just so pleased that we're, we're heading in the right direction. And don't worry, 50 is not where I'm going to stop. I'm just going to keep going as long as the poetry police will let me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I started this podcast and where I was at when I first sat down in front of my laptop in London and uh, hit record and immediately went silent and talk to you about the poems that I have up here in my office in Melbourne. These are the poems and the quotes that got me going in the first place and they sustain me, whether it's making the podcast, whether it's sitting down to write, they get me to the keyboard, they keep me at the keyboard, and they've become like mantras to me. So well before I ever sat down to record my first podcast here, I had to make a really difficult decision. I was working in an office job that I really, really loved in many ways. I was working finally uh, at a not-for-profit organization and that was really important to me it was important that even though I was working in these kind of marketing and web manager roles that I was doing it for an organization that I thought was helping people and this particular not-for-profit was a children's cancer charity so we were doing some pretty great work but there came a point where I was feeling just burnt out and whether it was that job in particular or whether it was just 10 years of working my butt off for various people, I just came to this this point where I knew that I had to change something. And I found making that decision incredibly difficult. Walking away from that job was really heartbreaking in a lot of ways. And it really shook my sense of who I was. I didn't really know if I would be um, a legitimate person anymore if I didn't have my little office job where I could go and, you know, wear my office clothes and have my email and my phone ringing. There's so much of my identity kind of bound up in this work that I did, even though, let's be honest, a lot of it was just busy work. I was just kind of writing emails, responding to emails, going to meetings, taking notes. It feels very important while it's happening, but then you look back and you go, what did I actually do? What did I make? Can't really remember. And obviously there were really amazing elements to that job as well that were really important to me. I used to 
have the opportunity sometimes to interview people who are going through the experience of um, either going through the cancer experience themselves or they had a family member who was going through it. And those conversations were so important to me and, and um, drawing a line under all that and saying, okay, well, I'm going to make the decision to stop doing that and go and do something else was really, really tough especially when I didn't really know what that something else was going to be. I knew there was a pretty good chance that uh, my partner and I would go overseas for a while. And I knew that I had always wanted to try my hand at being a real freelance writer, quote unquote, or at least somebody who had the time to sit down and write something that was more than an email or a meeting report every day. But I had no idea what that was really going to look like. And I still remember the first day um, of real unemployment. That I thought of it as unemployment, not freelancing at that time. God knows I wasn't bringing in any money. And I was walking along the street and just thinking that everybody knew that I was like somehow slacking off and that... Um, you know, I guess, I guess I thought I was being judged by everyone around me, which is ridiculous, right? Because they're all out in the middle of the day too. Um, it's not a problem. There are so many different ways to make a living and to build your week. And I was just so stuck in this, but I don't have a real job and who am I now? And uh, yeah, there was, there was a friend of mine, um, the wonderful Sonia, who came on to the very first interview episode of Poetry Says, and she gave me this poem when I told her about this transition that I was making that I wrote out, I put up on my pin board, and it became just so important to me at that time. And that was Emily Dickinson's poem that starts, Exaltation is the Going. And it goes like this. Exaltation is the going of an inland soul to sea past the houses, past the headlands, into deep eternity. Bred as we among the mountains, can the sailor understand the divine intoxication of the first league out from land? So that was me, 100%. I was in the first league out from land and I was so excited but so scared. And when it was going well and when I felt like you know, I was actually managing to get stuff written and I was seeing new opportunities in front of me. I was like, yeah, this is good. This was the right decision to make. Everything's going to be fine. But there were plenty of moments and there still are plenty of moments when I think, God, uh, there's no map. What the hell am I doing? And it's in those moments that I look at this Emily Dickinson poem and remember there's an exaltation here the action of going into the unknown is in itself the reward. You're not going to get um, some merit badge or pat on the head for what you're doing here. It's just about going, just one step in front of the other. So thanks, Sonia. That poem was really, really useful. And the second poem is sort of in the, a similar vein to that. Um, this one actually came into my life quite a few years before 
I moved into freelancing back when I was uh, I was working at La Trobe Uni in um, kind of a web admin type role, extremely busy, um, lots of pressure and uh, yeah, lots of fun times as well, but lots of, yeah, lots of busyness, lots and lots of busyness. And it wasn't always clear to me that what I was doing was again, really, really creating something that was necessarily important in a wider sense. And I got into this journal um, over in the UK called Black and Blue. And when I got my copy, they had included this postcard with a poem by a UK poet called Robert Montgomery, not the actor. Um, This guy is a poet who writes these really pithy short poems they're really just sentences a lot of them and what he does is he carves them in this amazing font into metal and other materials and some of them he sets on fire um, and they just kind of exist in these public spaces others i think he puts on billboards they're just fantastic they're really mysterious and intriguing and the one that i got in my copy of black and blue is one that says to wake up and be like the weather, to be no longer the broken-hearted servants of mad kings. And it always makes me smile because, you know, I didn't really think of my bosses as mad kings and I didn't necessarily think of myself as a broken-hearted servant. Except maybe sometimes I did, right? Like maybe sometimes you do feel pretty broken-hearted when you get home of a Tuesday evening and you know, you've still got three more days to go and it's just all a bit much, you know. And the idea that one day you might be able to just wake up and be like the weather, just whatever happens, happens, going with the flow, just letting the day unfold. These ideas were so tantalizing to me. And the reality, of course, of being a freelancer is you can't actually just sit around being like the weather. Otherwise, nothing will happen. (laughs) You'll get nothing done. And I think probably what Robert Montgomery is talking about more in this poem is um, if we didn't have a system in which, you know, money was exchanged for goods and services, then maybe we could wake up and be like the weather. But look, we'd probably still have to grow food and stuff. Um, Yeah. But to be no longer the broken-hearted servants of mad kings, yeah, just love that, love that. And it's still up there. I still look at it all the time. Sometimes I think, hang on, am I the mad king now? Am I the, as my own boss, have I become the mad king? I don't know. So if you can wake up and just be like the weather, what on earth does that look like day to day? This is the question that I started asking myself when I suddenly didn't have a nine to five job anymore. And one of my very favorite poets at this point was very, very useful to me. The wonderful Jane Kenyon um, said this about managing your time. And Jane Kenyon lived with Donald Hall in this big rambling farmhouse called Eagle Farm up in Massachusetts, I think it was. And, she and Donald would just get up every day and do their writing and they would go to church and they had a very, it sounds like they had a very routine life, even though I know from reading other things about Jane that she had to battle manic depression as well. So there must have been times when things were pretty out of control. 
But this quote from her was one that kind of gave me um, direction as to how I should structure my days when I needed that routine and repetition. And she says, be a good steward of your gifts, protect your time, feed your inner life, avoid too much noise, read good books, have good sentences in your ears, be by yourself as often as you can, walk, take the phone off the hook, work regular hours. The two things in there that are most important to me are be by yourself as often as you can and work regular hours. It's really easy when you work from home to just keep working forever. You know, you're just like working at 10 at night, working at seven in the morning. This is not a good thing. Um, yeah, there's a permission in that to just, you know, Jane worked at home, but she must have had a point where she said, okay, that's writing is done for the day. I'm going to go do something else now. And the fact that she says, be by yourself as often as you can, that was really comforting to me because um, something that a lot of people said when I told them that I was going to be leaving the world of the office was, oh, you'll be so lonely. You'll be so isolated. You know, you'll, you'll go all weird and you'll forget how to interact with people. And um, sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's definitely the case. But having someone like Jane Kenyon say, no, you should be by yourself as often as you can. Um, I think that was... That was, again, just this great permission to just build the day how I wanted to build it for a while. So to me, as a writer, as a podcaster, repetition is my go-to. That's the most important thing to me. I know I talked in a previous episode about Jack Spicer and this idea of receiving dictation that's not an experience that I really have. The thing that sustains me as a writer is not flashes of inspiration. It's not being in the mood. Um, it's just doing it over and over and over again. And to be quite honest with you, often feeling like what I'm making is just not really worth making, but Hey, at least it exists rather than non-existing and there are so many years while I was working at those office jobs when just no writing was happening writing was this thing that would happen sometime in the future and I'd had so many people in my life tell me like oh Alice you're you're a good writer you know you 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 should be a writer and I guess I kind of thought yeah I'll I'll be a writer uh, totally that's that's something that will happen um never realizing that I actually had to take the steps to make that happen myself. It wasn't going to be bestowed upon me. And what I've found for me anyway, is I just have to get up and do it before I even think about what's happening before the internal critic kicks in, before procrastination kicks in, um, before I can start having a debate with myself and it can feel very workmanlike, very, very much like, um, more like I'm building something, you know, more like I'm carving something out of rock rather than, um, you know, catching some spark of inspiration as it flies by. But that's, that's how it goes. That's how I get things. Um, yeah, 
And, and there's a quote from another podcaster whose work I really admire called Merlin Mann, and he does a number of podcasts now, but I first started listening to him many years ago when he used to do, he still does do a podcast called Back to Work, and that's a lot about, it's about many things, but it's about creativity and time and attention and things like that. And there's something that he said, God knows which episode it was, where he said, um, being creative is about doing things repeatedly without regard to whether you get a merit badge for it. And I just thought that was so great. And it marries so well with another favorite um, passage of mine from another writer, another American writer called Carrie Tennis, who I have spoken about once on the podcast here, I think, um, because this passage is just so important to me. I've, I've printed it out God knows how long ago, but the piece of paper is just twisted up. It's got like a million holes in it from the number of times I've pinned it up. And the highlighted sentence is um, really fading here. But yeah, so Carrie is uh, an advice columnist. And this piece he wrote as a response to somebody who wrote in and said, look, I, I want to be a writer, but I don't know if I'm any good. And yeah, this response of his was just the most important piece of permission from somebody whose writing I admired so much. He says, One does not write only to display one's talent. One also writes as a spiritual practice and a mode of self-discovery. One writes in order to see. One writes in order to remember. Writing is like a sixth sense used to apprehend a reality not detected by the other five. It is the memory sense or the feeling sense, the organ through which we make known to each other a rich world not otherwise knowable. It is also the medium through which we make known history and the soul of our culture. It keeps something alive that otherwise might die. It is an important act, regardless of whether it gains an individual right of fame and praise. So if you are writing, and if writing is, as you say, in your blood, your question about talent is moot. It is more a question about how you persist in writing through the fear, discouragement, and disappointment that are endemic to the activity. Logically, it works out like this. All the practice you get makes you better. Whatever stops you from practicing makes you worse. One thing that may stop you from practicing is the belief that you are no good. So the belief that you are no good may, pre may prevent you from becoming good unless you persist in writing. Many of us wake up believing we are no good and persist anyway, knowing that if we do not persist through our feelings of worthlessness, then surely we will get nowhere. Our beliefs about our value are meaningless. Writing is a thing that must be done. In doing it, we often get better. It is not guaranteed how much better we will get by daily writing. How good we get? Who knows? How long it takes? Who knows? But surely we will not get better by not writing. So to keep at it is a logical necessity. Feels good just to read that. God, I need to be reminded of that so often. To keep at it is a, is a logical necessity. Because it can be very tempting to just stop or to find an excuse for that day which becomes an excuse for that week an excuse for that month 
I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm talking very much about myself here. I don't know what it's like for you. But um, yeah, the sentence I have highlighted there is all the practice you get makes you better. So the important thing about that to me is it doesn't matter if it's even just a tiny, tiny sliver of practice. Sometimes it's just the fact of opening the Word document or just the fact of reading through a poem one time, maybe you change one word. It all makes you a tiny bit better. I have to believe that anyway. So these were the thoughts that were going through my mind as I quit the office job and went freelance. And so then I had all this space and in that space, the idea came up, well, you love podcasts so much, why don't you start trying to make one? And so I sat down in front of the laptop and eventually started speaking into the laptop. And uh, yeah, the first episodes were pretty rough, but all the practice you get makes you better. And so here we are, 50 episodes in. So I want to really thank everyone who's been on the podcast as a guest because I know you all in various ways have taken quite a big gamble. Um, Some of you I had never really spoken to before. In fact, most of you I'd never spoken to before, but I always came away from those interviews feeling like I had a new friend and a whole new perspective on poetry. So thank you so much. And thank you to all the people who supported me in the early days when, you know, listeners were were very, very low. And I thought, well, should I keep doing this? And I had people around me who said, it's fantastic. You've got to keep doing it. We love it. So thank you so much to you guys. And a massive, massive heartfelt thank you to my wonderful partner, Tom, who was there at the very beginning there for crisis management all the way through because you know as much as I would love to say that I am completely on top of all the technicalities of creating and making a podcast there are times when I have questions that I can't answer and there are times when it's just not working and to have someone at the other end of the phone uh, and someone at the other side of the table who is able to help me with that is completely invaluable And of course, thank you to you for listening, whether this is your first episode or your 50th episode. If it's your 50th, definitely let me know. Um, Thank you for being part of the podcast. You're part of what makes it work. You're part of the reason I keep sitting down to record these. And yeah, let's do it. Let's try for 50 more.